Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. My Spanish teacher in high school used to say, Escúchame! Or, listen to me. Listen, if you took Spanish in high school or in college, you know that that means, listen, listen to me. Escúchame! And I think that was the way that she would, I think at the class, probably me, it was always me, uh, Tom, listen. And what she would do is she would try to get you to lean in and understand, listen to what I'm saying, listen to how I'm saying it, listen to how I'm pronouncing it, listen to how the word that I'm using is in context. You'd lean in and listen to her. And I think that's one of the things that most of us understand when we say, like, hey, lean in. Lean into something. We know that we're leaning in so that we can pay attention. We know that we, when we lean into good food, we're like, you know, in it to win it. We're going to eat that whole plate of food. We're just focused on that food. But when you're in good conversation, you're like leaning in. You have to lean in to listen. Lately, I've learned I have to lean in to listen, mostly because I can't hear uh, much of what's being said. I have uh, noise-induced hearing loss. Does anybody have That's what happens when you put two, two large speakers in your tiny little Ford Escort and when you're a teenager and just crank up. Oasis or, you know, something, and you uh, get older and you find yourself going, what? <laughs> anybody, anybody find themselves doing that? What? Listen. <laughs> good conversation, leaning in, intellectual stimulation, good theology, good shows, things that you lean into. Baseball season's upon us. We know that when a batter leans into a pitch, when that pitch is just, you take one for the team, right? Baseball players, if that, if that pitcher's, you know, cr- you're crowding the plate, they're going to throw it. But if you take one for the team, you get a free base. Take one for the team. When we are fully engaged with something, we lean in. And that's what we're going to study this morning. Uh, the servant who leans in to what the sovereign Lord had for him. It's not enough just to read and just look for beauty. Beauty's not enough. We've been talking about the beauty of Jesus Christ. Uh, and when something is beautiful or something's delicious. We, we don't just want to look at it. We want to engage with it. We want to not just smell the freshly baked bread. We want to crack that thing open right when it's coming out and you want to put butter on it. You just want to digest it. You want to eat it. You, when you have a great conversation, you don't just want to like hear it. You want to be engaged in it. When You want to participate in it. When you're looking at a picture, you want to see the thing, but you also want to experience that. That's something that C.S. Lewis mentioned in his book, The Weight of Glory. Uh, He says this, that we do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows that even though that is bounty enough for us, that's treasure enough to see the beauty that God has created. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. We want to be united with the beauty that we see. We want to pass into it. We want to receive it into ourselves. We want to bathe in it. We want to become part of it. And that longing is also true for us when we see the ultimate beauty of Jesus. We're not just studying the scriptures because we want to learn knowledge about Jesus. Some of us are kind of stuck in that. We, we know a lot, but we're longing to experience what, what does it mean to be in friendship with the living God, with Jesus. We could look at Jesus from the text from afar. We could be like, hey, I know about Jesus, but 
But this morning, I want us to continue to lean in and not just study the text, but to study it so that we can be united with him. This is what theologians call united. We are united with Christ. Union with Christ means that we are in him and he is in us. And we may not always experience his nearness or his presence, but we as Christians, as, as, as followers of Jesus, as friends of God, we long to lean in and desire that we would be experiencing his presence in a way that we know that he is our friend and that we love him. This is servant song number three, and this morning we're going to read more about how Jesus, the servant of the sovereign Lord, this is all about Jesus, the scriptures are all about Jesus, we're going to read how this third song shows us that Jesus leaned into what the sovereign Lord would have for him, and then we're going to figure out what that means for us, and so uh, in your Bible, if you're not there yet, your publishers might have a title there, it's, it's entitled The Obedient Servant. Uh, might have uh, something else in there, but that is rightfully titled because here we see that the servant of God that we've been studying in the book of Isaiah leans into God's instruction for our good. He listens to what his sovereign Lord says, and he leans into God's goodwill for him, which also leads him into suffering. He suffers for leaning into the will of the sovereign Lord, and again, that is for our good. And then, finally, he leans into God's love. He leans into the sovereign Lord's love for him, which we, too, now have as a result of this servant that Isaiah points out for us. So for those of you that are taking an outline, here's just the three things we're going to talk about this morning. We're talking about leaning into instruction. That's verses 4 through 5. Leaning into instruction. Leaning into suffering. Verses 6 through 7. And leaning into into love, verses 8 through 9. And if there's anything that you take away from this time together this morning, I hope that you take away this, that we know that because the servant of God was perfectly and completely submitted to the sovereign Lord, we are able to experience God's love and forgiveness. Because the truth of the matter is that God has continually leaned towards humanity in love. And in Isaiah, he is revealing that he is leaning towards Israel as well in love. And now he leans towards us in love through Jesus. This is the gospel. That's the good news that God is leaning towards us in relationship. And so at the end, when we ask the question, what happens when we ourselves lean like the servant into instruction, into his will and into his love, what, what does that mean for us? Or in other words, we could say, what happens when we lean into the gospel? So if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. We're, we're in the middle of a study of Isaiah, the, the prophet who is, you know, the, the, he would be on the Mount Rushmore of prophets. He's one of the biggest, one of the largest uh, books in the Bible. It's 66 chapters, and we're going through it thematically. And right now, we're, we're looking at God as our servant, the one who would come and serve not only the sovereign Lord for Israel's sake, but he serves his people, which we find ourselves to be in Jesus Christ. And so the first servant song was found in Psalm 42, I mean Isaiah 42, and it tells us that he is gentle and strong. He doesn't snuff out a smoldering wick. He's, he is gentle with those who are bruised. The second servant song is in Isaiah 49, and it tells us about the scope of Jesus' mission. The servant was not just to serve Israel, but it's not enough for that. He's got to save the entire world, bring everyone, every tongue, tribe, and nation back to God. 
And this morning, we're looking at the third song. There's only, there's four of them we're going to look at, but this third song in Isaiah 50 uh, is going to show us that he is fully submitted to the sovereign Lord. And here, I think in this song, we're going to see the secret of what our union with Christ is. Or in other words, what is the secret to being in relationship with God in such a way that our hearts are gladdened, that we are able to walk through life confident? What's the secret to the Christian life? Well, it's, it's here in this text. At the beginning of the chapter, if you look with me, uh, the first three verses are something that is repeated over and over again. I'm not going to spend much time here uh, because the, the message is pretty consistent, that God seeks to redeem Israel back to himself. At the beginning of the chapter, uh, in verse 1, he says that, he asks the question, uh, the Lord says, the sovereign Lord, anytime you see it in all caps, that's Yahweh, that's the sovereign Lord. The Lord says, where is your mother's divorce certificate that I used to send her away? He's asking a, a a rhetorical question. He's saying, uh, "Where's where did when did I divorce you? When did I separate myself? When did I break covenant with you?" And the answer is, "I didn't." Uh, the next question he asks, or, "Or which to my creditors did I sell you?" In other words, how did I cover my debt? Well, he's not a god that is indebted to anyone. Essentially, what he's saying is that you have not been forsaken by me. The reason why you're in exile, the reason why you're out of Jerusalem, which is Zion, the reason why you're not experiencing what is promised when you are faithful to me is because of your own transgressions. He, he says that, look, you were sold for your iniquities. You, you were sent away because of your transgressions. That city of God, Zion, Jerusalem, that is the mother. It, the, the imagery here is that your, your mother, your home, the one that cares for you, cities were often... Uh, related to as, as being uh, the mother of a, of a nation. They are the, uh, the ones who are cared for by that city. And he's saying, I've not sent you away. I've not, I've not issued a divorce certificate from you. It's because of their own transgression. And that's important to notice because it's interesting that God is the one who does not break covenant with them. He's not the one that fails. He's not the one that says, I've had it, it's enough. He doesn't break it. The, the covenant is not broken. The one that he made between him and Abram, do you remember that? We talked about the covenant that he made with Abram, and he says, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to pass through a bunch of carcasses, and there's blood on the ground. And if Abraham, if I ever break my word with you, you can do to me what I've done to these animals. And what he's saying here in this first part is that it's not because I've broken covenant. It's because of your sin and your transgression. But notice the covenant's not broken yet. Because God's the one who initiated. He's the one that made the initial covenant. The contract is, I'm going to draw up a contract with you. This is my contract with you. I've not broken it. So you're not forsaken. And then he says, am I too weak to redeem you? Verse 2, is my arm too weak to redeem? Or do I have no power to rescue? In other words, Israel, I can rescue you. I can redeem you because the contract is still good. So there's three types of audiences here listening right now. The history of Israel was such that the reason why they were exiled is because they broke the faithfulness of their worship to God. And there's three types of audiences here. There's three, people, three types of people listening to this or reading this. The first audience are those who don't care. They're like, I don't care. I don't care what God says. And they're just going to do their own thing. They're worshiping their idols. They're, they're glad for that. They, it's like blah, 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 blah. I don't care. 
Then the other extreme is those who do care. They're leaning in. They're like, okay, what, what, what do we do? How do we get back? How? I'm, I'm listening. I'm leaning in. Tell me what I need to do. And then there's those who are indifferent. They're the ones that are like, ah, you know, this sounds like a good conversation. Let me kind of like lean in a little bit. It's like parties. When you have conversations and you're with a friend and you know that like if it's, an, if it's a large enough party there's, and there's enough friends of yours there, have you ever experienced this where you're talking and you're like, hey, Ron, how you doing? It's like, oh, really good. Then someone and Andrew comes in and he's like, hey, guys, what are you guys talking about? Like, ah, oh, nothing. We're just catching up. Andrew comes in and then Ricky's like, hey, guys, what are you guys talking about? Like, oh, we're just catching up. So, Ron, tell me about that, that thing that you're doing at work. You, you're, doing, you're doing a little bit of web design, right? You know? And, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's really interesting. And then, like, and then Andrew's like, this is boring. And he leaves. He's indifferent to the conversation. Ricky is just there because he's being polite because he saw that Andrew left. And he's like, ah, I'll, I'll listen in. And then all of a sudden says, say, hey, there's some cocktail weenies over here. And Ricky's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. But Ricky doesn't come back because he's indifferent to the conversation. But Ron and I are so intrigued. I'm leaning in. I'm like, yo, tell me about user experience. I want to know all about that. Like, tell me. And, and, and we're leaning in. And then over time, people join the conversation. That's the indifferent. The person that's indifferent is Andrew's like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm out. Maybe I'll come back. My prayer and God's desire is that at any point, one of these perspectives, these, these, these audiences can change. You can be leaning into what God's saying at some point and be really interested, but sadly, some of us can be like, ah, you know what? I don't like that, and then we can pull out. We can be indifferent and hear something that God says and no longer be indifferent. We can be like, ooh, I want to listen to this. Some of us cannot care and then care. This is the beauty of God's patience. As he's speaking over and over and over again, any one of us are in one of these three categories of listening. Some of you here this morning are indifferent. Some of you are leaning in. Some of you don't care. But the good news is that God in his long suffering will kind of talk. He will talk. He will talk. He will proclaim and proclaim. And he will continue to lean towards you until you're leaning in towards him. Because that's the kind of God he is. That's the good news of the gospel. And so I pray that you are going to lean in. So let's lean in. The heart of this song is found in verses 4 through 9. Look at verse 4. I'm going, to, I'm going to read through verse 9, and then I want you to hear for something that repeats. And this is what I believe is the heart of this message. Verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with the word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us confront each other. Who has a case against me? Let him come near me. In truth, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out those who condemn me like a garment. They will wear out like a moth has devoured them. Did you, what, was the, what is the recurring phrase? What does this servant sing over and over about? The Lord God. The Lord God. The Lord God. The Lord God. The sovereign Lord God. And 
in the previous song, it's a variety of speakers. You remember that God is speaking with the servant, the servant speaking with God, then the servant saying, hey, everybody, here's a conversation I had with God. Then Isaiah saying, here's what the Lord revealed to the servant. Three different speakers. In this song, it's one speaker, and it is the servant. And he is speaking about his relationship with the Lord God. And the Lord God is not distant. He is near to him. The Lord God will help me. The Lord God will vindicate me. The Lord God awakens me. He instructs me. The Lord God is not far off, but he is near. He's near to me. And when we read this text, we see that the servant's submission to this Lord God, the sovereign Lord that has an instruction for him, that has a will for him, that has a love for him, the outrageous submission of this servant ought to cause us to think about maybe there's some things in our lives that we are holding too tightly. And if this servant is willing to submit himself to the sovereign Lord, even though he suffers, then perhaps we might think about what it is that we need to loosen our grips on in this life. The servant specifies three areas in particular where submission is super evident. Uh, Look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. This servant is only speaking what he learns from the Father. He is leaning into instruction. He's leaning into what the Lord has for him. And he uses this word awakens. He awakens me each morning. I, I, you know, it's like we wake our kids up for school. We, we awaken them and we want them to know, hey, it's time for school. Listen, it's time for school. Listen, get ready. Listen, will you please get your backpack? Listen to me. Your bus is going to be here in two minutes, right? You've just missed your bus. Listen to me. You're grounded, a, right? When we wake people up, and we want to instruct them. Or it's like we're going on a vacation. You know, we wake each other up at like 4.30 in the morning because we're going to the Outer Banks. And it's like eight-hour ride. And we want to get there by a certain time. Hey, wake up. It's time to go. I want to give you some instructions. You listen and you get instructed. That is his ear. His ear is listening for the instruction. And what is he sent to do? He's sent with instruction. Look at verse 4 in the middle. To know what? How to sustain the weary with a word. He is given a word of instruction to go and speak what the Father, the Sovereign Lord, has him. He wants to speak so that people are strengthened, that they're no longer weary. And this is the message of Isaiah in the center of it. The, the first part's like the Sovereign King has failed in the Davidic line. And so uh, I'm going to be a sovereign king, and I'm going to send one for you because I've always been that sovereign king. But now, in the middle of the book, he's saying, don't be discouraged. I've not forgotten you. My servant will be obedient to me. In Isaiah 49, too, it's interesting because the servant describes, if you look there really quick, just make a left-hand turn. In Isaiah 49, 2, notice that the words that he is speaking in this song is one that brings healing. He he strengthens the weary. But in uh, 52, uh, 49.2, he made my words like a sharp sword. Jesus is both the one who speaks comfort to those who are weary. He's also the one that uses his words as a sword to slay the unrighteous. 
this is the this is the balance between Jesus and it, this is the thing that it makes him so incredible. He is both the lion and he's the lamb. He is the one that is the almighty. He speaks the word and he creates all things, but he is also near to you when you're weeping beside your bed. He puts his arm around you. And then he takes his big fat fist and punches Satan in the face. He is both strong and he's both weak. He is tender and he's also righteously angry at sin. This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is, it is not inconsistent. He is, that's what makes him beautiful is that he is incredibly not us. He's just not us. He is able to maintain righteousness. He is able to be tender. He is able to speak a gentle word. Jesus has a gentle tongue. Jesus is the servant. He is instructed. He leans into the instruction because the instruction of the Father is go speak a word that will bring rest. Do you remember what Jesus said at that great celebration in Jerusalem when everybody's like freaking out about what he's saying? They're like, is this guy the Messiah? Is he not? And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. John reveals the servant spoken of in Isaiah through Jesus and says, this is the one who came to speak what he said he would, which was strength. So he leans into instruction. He leaned into what the father said. And not only does he speak what he learns from the father, but he also suffers whatever the father puts in his way. He leans into God's will. Look at verse six. The servant Jesus leans into suffering He says, I gave my back to those who beat me. Now he is saying that he does not turn back. He was not rebellious what the Lord instructed him because the Lord gave him words to say, but he also instructed him, I I want you to go and I want you to suffer for these people. And the servant says, I gave my back. I gave my back. I was not compelled. I was not forced. I gave myself. I gave my back to those who beat me. And I gave my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. It's going to get, it's going to get even more graphic in the next song where you're going to see what exactly he went through. We know that the crucifixion was a brutal thing. Jesus went to the cross giving himself. He gave 100% of himself. He is the one that submitted to the Father's will even though suffering was in his future. The servant's willingness to suffer is a theme that's been building throughout Isaiah. It's going to continue to build until we see that this suffering servant gives all of himself. And he would not falter. He would not be discouraged. Nothing is going to sway him because he needs to, what, remember this? Establish justice. The flogging that he received, the death that he suffered, is the the thing that Jesus was sent by the Father to do for our greater good. He was set to it. It says that I have set my face, verse 7, like flint. In in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. Luke says that when the days were coming close for him to be taken up, and that was not, uh, that could be either taken up into ascension or taken up onto the cross, When that time was coming, he determined, or he set his face like flint. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. He knew what awaited him. 
these days, this idea of giving 100% of ourselves is unfathomable. We kind of, we kind of hedge our bets. I'll give, you, I'll give you as much as I can. In fact, some of you who are considering marriage, there's, there's this, this rumor out there that marriage is 50-50. You give 50%, and I'll give 50%, and then we'll be 100% together. That doesn't work. Because if you only give 50%, that means that the other person has to provide for you what you, it's a conditional love. I'll give you 50% as long as you make your end of the bargain. But what happens when they don't keep up their end of the bargain? What happens when they wake up with stinky breath in the morning? Because it's going to happen. What happens when they fail to love you the way that you want to be loved or say those kind words? What happens when their beauty fades? What happens when you 50, their 50% is not good enough? Marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100. In the same way, God gives all of himself. Jesus gives all of himself. He gives 100% of himself. Fathers, none of us can give 100% of ourselves to our spouse, to our kids. We can't give 100% of ourselves to our employers. We can't, moms, give 100% of ourselves to our kids. You may think that you can. We just are not able to do that. We're finite beings. You're weak. I'm weak. We fail. Can we just all admit that? Let's all admit. Say, let's all admit we fail. Ready? One, two, three. We fail. Great. Good job. Jesus never fails. He's able to give 100% of himself. I don't understand that. Well, that's because you're a finite creature that does not know how to give and cannot give 100%. God gives 100%. The servant gives 100% of himself. And he leans into suffering. Jesus leans into suffering. Why? Why does he lean into suffering? Even though the Father's will for him, the Father said, you must suffer. Friends, here's the deal about life. We can lean into God's instruction. We can read God's word. We can lean into it and we can learn and we can grow from that. And that's actually when we lean into the instruction of the word, that's how we know God. God is speaking to us. We know him. But then the moment when he says, hey, I'm going to have you walk through something extremely difficult. And sometimes he doesn't ask you. You just find yourself in a difficult circumstance where you are in the midst of pain and suffering and you're tempted to say, you know what? I'm not sure the Lord loves me anymore. Israel struggled with it. They're like, have you heard me? Have you abandoned me? And the God said, no, 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 no. Well, wait a minute. I thought that I was a Christian. I thought everything was going to be rainbows and butterflies once I trusted Jesus. I thought my bank account was going to be larger than it is. I thought I was going to be more perfect than I am. I thought everything was going to be awesome. Everything is awesome. It's like a Lego movie. No. No. What suffering produces in us is a dependence upon the God who loves us. The suffering that we experience in this life is promised that it is only temporary which the Christ who gave 100% of himself suffered and leaned into it because he knew the joy that was set before him was a redeemed people who would one day be resurrected from the dead and never again experience suffering, shame, or sorrow. The forgiveness of their sins was ahead of them. And for a light and momentary moment in this world, you are going to walk through suffering. It's inevitable. 
you're going to lose children. You're going to see loved ones die. You're going to be let down. But the servant who suffered for us did it because of the third thing. is because he leaned into the love of the Father. He leaned into the love of the Father. The Father loves to save sinners. Look at verse 8 through 9. He says that the one who vindicates me is near. There it is. There's the nearness of his Father. You see, Jesus leaned into suffering because he leaned into the love of the Father. He essentially here is saying, in truth, the Lord God will help me. Who's going to condemn me? Who's going to tell me that what I'm doing is crazy? It's crazy. Why are you giving all of yourself for this God who apparently sets you up for much suffering? He's like, because he loves me. I know that he loves me. Jesus said that all the time. Not my will, but your will be done. I only do what the Father tells me to do. You're crazy. Nah, well, you know, I don't care what you say. That's the beauty about Jesus. Jesus doesn't give a rip about what people say about him. It just kind of rolls off his back. They're like, you're an idiot. Nah, whatever. You're a blasphemer. Nah, no, I'm not. You are cursed by God. No, no, I'm not. Even up on the cross, he says, my God, my God, my sovereign Lord, my sovereign Lord, why have you forsaken me? But he was able to be on that cross because in Gethsemane, he gets down on his knees. He says, Father, if there's any way, any way, Father, that this cup can be passed for me, please do it. Yet not my will, but your will be done. In fact, he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. What's the next line? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And therefore, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the nourishment and the strength that we need to endure what you've called us to go through. And as we go through it, our lips will praise you. Even though that is painful, we will praise you. We will tell that you are sovereign over all things. And so when I decide to break off that relationship, when I decide to do what I know that is going to cause me pain because I've been holding on to this thing for too long, I need that fix of just whatever it is that makes me feel better about myself. I just, I turn to other things that, that make me feel loved, but I'm not turning to God. I, I'm loved by God, Jesus says. The servant says, I am loved by God. In truth, verse 9, the Lord will help me. When Jesus was tempted to appease the crowds that were around him and said, dude, let's make him king, he ran the other way. He didn't want to be like the cool kids. One of my favorite songs, one of my favorite songs is Echo Smith. Does anybody know Echo Smith? The cool kids? Come on. I wish that I could be like the cool kids, because then they always get the... Right? I'll stop singing. Some of you are like, dude, you've just ruined that song for me. Just get on with the gospel. Jesus had no fear of man. We struggle with fear of man. Do you, are you afraid of what your boss thinks of you? Are you afraid of what your spouse thinks of you? Are you afraid of what others think of you? Jesus had none of that. Are you seeking people's praise? Are you studying because you think that if you get enough good grades and you get the great certificate that's handed to you, if you just get that promotion, if you do this, are you, are you searching for people's praise? Are you thinking that you're... Life's validation is going to be once you get to that platform, get that award, get that raise, 
do that thing, get that body, do that whatever. Jesus had none of that. You're seeking honors and accolades. When you say, hey, who, when if somebody say, hey, wh- who are you? And you're like, oh, well, I got this award and I did this and I did that. And I'm also a, an executive at Wawa. I run the hoagie department. Pretty big deal. Jesus had none of that. He loved the Father, and the Father loved him. In Romans 8, 31 through 34, Paul says, after he summarizes the good news of the gospel, what Christ has done for us, that he had gone to the cross, that he had suffered for our sin, he says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For some of you, it's a scary thing to jump into following Jesus because you really are afraid of what it means for you. One of the things that holds many people back is the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's like, so how, what do I have to give up if I follow Jesus? Everything. Oh, okay. Well, what does that mean exactly, everything? Is it just like, you know, my reputation? Can I, can I still do this? Like, no, everything. Submit everything to him. Hmm. Is that a good deal? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The Father's will was that he would give the Son who willingly submitted to the Father, who submitted to the suffering, so that we might have the joy and the privilege of being with God, being with Christ. The revelation of God in perfection is the person of Jesus Christ. And what Christ has done for us, this suffering servant, allows us to stand in the confidence that not only is God for us, but in verse 33 of Romans 8, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. The servant says, who's going to bring a charge against me? Who's going to condemn me? The third servant song is ascribed to you. That in Christ Jesus, you stand fully justified before God the Father Almighty. God in his mercy offers forgiveness and he offers it routinely. He leans into you with mercy and forgiveness and grace and kindness and compassion. But he's also a just God. Someone has to pay the due bill. Someone has to pay your debt. And this servant, Jesus says, I'll pay the debt, and I'll live the perfect life, and I will willingly climb up on that cross, and I will willingly receive the penalty that is due for sin and pay the debt so that justice might be served because God is both just and the justifier. He both punishes sin in Jesus Christ, and then he says, Andrew, you are forgiven. But Christ... I've not done anything. How do I earn this salvation? I've paid your debt. What must I do to earn your love? I love you. That's why I sent my son for you. That's why the servant came. Israel, that's why he has come. Look to him. He's an incredible guy. Can you imagine a life lived under total approval? Jesus teaches us what it is to have life and to live life to the fullest. And so when we lean into the instruction of the Lord, when we lean into the gospel, when we lean into what Christ has instructed for us, we get life. We get courage. 
We get confidence. We are reminded that God loves us. Jesus is able to give us vindication for living a life for him. Some of you need to know that, like, it's okay to be scared to be a Christian when you're on the college campus, and you just know that if you open your mouth and say that you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to get ridiculed. Someday you'll be vindicated. Someday you'll hear the words, well done. And because Jesus endured all of that for us, the secret to union with him, the secret to a powerful life, the secret to the servant's life is also ours. Jesus' secret of a submitted life can be our secret. We, we are to submit ourselves to the words of the Father, which are the words of Jesus. Jesus is the word. We are to submit ourselves to the will of the Father, that we submit ourselves to the loving, kind, providential hand of God as he leads us through life because all of that the ability to do that is when we lean into the gospel and says, God loves you. He's paid your debt. You're free. Come out. Be free. When we lean into the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we look at the areas in our life and we say, my sexual integrity, I've wanted to do what I want with my own body, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit that. I'm going to submit my body to the lordship of Jesus Christ. My finances, I'm going to submit that to the lordship of Jesus Christ. My selfishness, I'm going to submit that to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, all of me, I'm going to submit, Lord, give me the strength to do that. And the beauty is when you fail in every one of these areas, which you will, you'll grow in increasing maturity. But when you fail, the good news of the gospel is like, doesn't cancel the contract. You failed. Jesus paid for it. Let me pick you up. Let me give you the power to live be led by my spirit to live like Jesus Christ because you're loved and you're cared for. That's the beauty of the gospel. And the cross is Jesus' greatest act of submission. And that's why we remember him each week in a tangible way when we celebrate the Lord's Supper because we remember the debt that's been paid and will always be paid. There's nothing that you can do to cancel the contract between you and God. By faith we are saved. By grace, it's a free gift when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we place our faith in him and his payment, the contract will not be broken. No matter what you do, it's a life of increasing maturity and likeness, but know that you're loved. Can you imagine walking through life knowing that you're loved all the time? Your father in heaven loves you, sent his son for you. And when we draw on that, we lean into that, then we're able to walk through all sorts of hard stuff. And the way that we do that is we Listen to his word, and we're, we're taught how to do that. See how that ties together? The suffering servant sent for us. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.